0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2, the safe space created for Black women by Black women to strip away the taboo of talking about mental health. You'll hear from mental health professionals and advocates, as well as Black women, sharing their experiences as we break down the complexities, explore ways to heal, and support each other. My name is Ashley. I'm your host. Whether you're a seasoned regular or this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much for your support. Now, let's get into today's episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. I'm your host, Ashley, and I sound terrible today. Um, I lost my voice, riding roller coasters and screaming really loud. I don't know if it helped my anxiety or hurt it, but I'm here. <laughs> I am here. So uh you gotta listen to this scratchy voice all day for the rest of the episode. So sorry. <laughs> but today we have a great guest. Uh she comes highly recommended. Uh, She's doing awesome work, so it's going to take me about 20 minutes to read her bio. Y'all just sit, sit tight. (laughs) We have Whitney Trotter on the podcast today. Hey, Whitney, how you doing? Thank you so
1: much for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Yes. Thank you so much for popping in um, and and joining me for an episode. I appreciate it. Um, You are a busy person, so I appreciate you carving out some time for little me. (laughs) Um, you guys, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the great things that Whitney's doing. Um, and then we are going to hop into our Fast and Curious segment. So before we do that, um, Whitney is a duly licensed registered dietitian nurse. She's also a yoga instructor. Hey, love when the yogis come on. <laughs> um, and she is currently working on her doctorate degree to become a psych a psychiatric nurse practitioner. She's got over 10 years uh, experience working as a registered dietitian, uh, serving various communities such as the HIV AIDS community, as well as working in the eating disorder field. Um, she has also previously worked as a pediatric emergency room nurse. Uh, she's a member of her county's rape crisis center. Uh, she co-founded an anti-trafficking organization called Restore Corp, uh, where she now provides medical training to the community focusing on human Trafficking response. Um, she is a former nutrition and she is the fr- former nutrition and nursing director of a residential PHP and IOP center. Um, she's also an anti-racism educator, consultant, and human trafficking adv- ad. Y'all, I can't speak. I sound terrible. Human trafficking activist. I promise I can read. <laughs> She's not great. Thanks. (laughs) She's also the owner and founder of Bluff City Health, a private practice specializing in bridging the gap in the eating disorder field of equitable care and social justice. Uh, This past year, she uh, also created the first ever BIPOC uh, eating disorder conference um, and started BIPOC eating disorder awareness week. So if you saw that hashtag floating around, she is the reason why. Um, And one thing she forgot to put on her bio, she was actually interviewed by Essence earlier this year. The name of the article is, we need to talk about eating disorders within the Black community. So she is doing all of the things. Like I said, I don't know how she had time to carve out for me, but I appreciate it. (laughs) Um, You are doing awesome, awesome work. And if you guys can't tell based on her bio today, we are going to be talking about eating disorders. Something that we uh, have not talked enough about on this podcast, so um, I waited to do this episode three years um, to, until I found the right person to bring on to to discuss this topic. So, before we get into the good stuff, we are going to do our fast and curious segment. So, for anybody that's new. Uh, That basically means I'm going to ask Whitney a bunch of random questions for three minutes and she is going to give me your quickest answer. Or if you have a story behind it, you can tell us a story. You ready?
2: Absolutely.
0: All right. What is one superpower that you wish you had?
1: Superpower. Uh, I would say all knowing, like to be able to infinite amounts of wisdom.
0: Oh, I love that. Do you think you would get bored at some point? I don't know.
1: I feel like there's so much out there. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know.
0: Maybe. <laughs> I love that. Um, What was your favorite game to play growing up as a kid?
1: Hide and go seek.
0: Oh, cute. I love it. Um, What was a subject that you wished you learned about in high school or middle school, but you didn't?
1: Black
0: history. Ooh, good one. Yeah, I think we're all going to raise our hands on that one. Um, do you prefer sunsets or sunrises?
1: Ooh, sunset. I, I'm, i like, allergic to them. I hate- Me green. too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Me
0: too. I thrive after, like, 5 p.m. I'm, yeah. I'm in it. Um, what is your favorite breakfast?
1: French toast
0: and bacon. Ooh. Okay, maple syrup or, like, regular syrup? Ooh,
1: hot maple syrup like a or like a warm maple syrup
0: yes oh yes love it um what do you wish was illegal guns guns
2: yeah. okay
0: we're rocking the boat out the gate That's I love it
1: good. we we just we have so many healthcare workers uh yeah. just in our state that have been like just victims of gun violence so I mean and just what we know nationally that's
2: been going on so
0: yeah oh i love it um if you could pick uh what's the scariest movie you've ever seen
2: oh
1: the exorcism or the exorcist one of those yeah that that was i'm like that's too much
0: yeah it shook me that shook me for yeah. months after i watched it yeah if you haven't watched it don't, don't bother don't bother. leave it alone leave it alone <laughs> um if you could take a vacation anywhere for six months and you can bring three people, where would you go, and who would you bring?
1: A vacation anywhere, oh, that's so hard. There's so many places I want to visit.
0: You can pick multiple places. Like if you want to okay. just go on a, like a world tour for six months, you can do that.
1: Yeah, I would do a world tour, Hawaii, Fiji, Spain, South Africa and Rwanda.
0: Ooh. Okay. Who are you taking? Three people. Up Uh, to three. You can go by yourself if you want to.
1: I mean, I would take my husband, my daughter who's six and we're uh, expecting. So the new baby. (laughs) Oh, congratulations. Thank you.
0: you. Oh, that's awesome. You're like the second person I've interviewed this month that's expecting. So I love it. Love it. Okay. Last question. If you could have dinner, like your favorite place for dinner, or your favorite meal that you like to cook, or have somebody cook for you for dinner. Um, ambiance is right. You've got five seats at the table. You can choose to bring anybody dead, alive, or fictional. Who are you picking? Uh,
1: ooh, this is hard. Okay, five
0: people. I would say Jesus. Ooh. Um he's at a lot of tables. I'm just saying.
2: <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, Maya Angelou. Yep. Yeah. Who else? I'm gonna say Michelle Obama.
0: Oh, Michelle is busy on this podcast. You know, she's on everybody's table.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, i would definitely say Michelle. Uh, Oprah.
0: Yes, Oprah's a lot of in I like it. I think you have one more. One, two, three, four
2: she's my last one my last book. dead alive or fictional you know I, I'm gonna actually say Whitney Houston
0: too oh yeah she's gonna I'm bring gonna the fun Houston after her really mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh my gosh okay what's your favorite Whitney Houston song
1: Oh gosh. Oh, there's so many, you know, the one i that's been on repeat lately at our house is the greatest love.
0: Yeah. That's a beautiful song. Oh, I don't think there's been a voice like hers since then. There hasn't. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I totally agree.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's such a good table. I love it. it. Um, thank you for playing fast and curious with me. That is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) we're going to hop into our mind game segment and our mind game segment is basically where I give you all some mental health trivia. And this time I won't make, I won't make you wait until the end of the episode for the answer. That's what I usually do, but we're going to switch it up for today. Today I have a a multiple choice question. Now with this multiple choice question, it is about, it is a mental health question. Um, You can choose either one answer, or there may be more than one. Okay. So the question is, and Whitney, you're probably going to know this, so you can't tell anybody. Okay. <laughs> okay. Out of these mental health professionals, who can prescribe SSRIs or antidepressants? A psychologists, B dietitians, C psychiatric nurse practitioners, or D psycho- psychiatrists. So, you've got a psychologist, B, dietitian, C, psychiatric nurse practitioners, or D, psychiatrist.
1: And I'm not answering, correct?
0: No, because you're going to give it away. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, for anybody that's listening, this is going to be uh, while you think about this, this is just a little reminder to make sure you're following Black Girls Have Anxiety 2 on Instagram and TikTok. Um, and I'm on Threads. If y'all aren't on Threads or you don't know what it is, it's a new little social media app that um, Elon Musk is gonna try to sue and uh, probably make shut down. But come over to Threads, follow Black Girls Have Anxiety too while we still have it. Um, yeah, I'm way more active over there than I ever was on Twitter. Now back to the answer. So again, the question is: out of all the out of all these mental health professionals or or health professionals. Uh, who can prescribe SSRIs or antidepressants? Um, we've got a psychologist, B dietitian, C psychiatric nurse practitioners, D psychiatrists. So if you said A as your answer, unfortunately, you did not get that correct. So psychologists do not prescribe SSRIs or medication. If you said B, and Whitney, keep me honest here, if you said B, That is also incorrect. Dietitians do not prescribe medications.
1: Correct. Correct.
0: If you said C and you said psychiatric nurse practitioner, you got that right. Uh, Psychiatric nurse practitioners can prescribe medication. They can also do therapy, but some may just uh, be there to work with you and help you manage your prescriptions. So not all of them offer therapy. If you said D, psychiatrists, well, you're also right. Psychiatrists are probably what we traditionally know as the people that uh, prescribe medications. Um, So yes, if you said C and D, I mean, you are a superstar and you're probably like an avid listener of this podcast or you're a mental health professional. I don't know, but you're doing amazing. (laughs) So thank y'all for playing mind games. We're going to hop into what's the psych T. So of course, today we're talking about mental health disorders or not, not mental health disorders. We're talking about eating disorders, which is also a mental health disorder. If you didn't know, uh, eating disorders, I, I wanted to bring Whitney's in particular on the podcast today, because, um, I don't think we talk enough about eating disorders within the black community. Um, and I think for me, it's been kind of tough to find people within our community that are doing the work, like you're doing the work. So I did some digging, excuse me. I found some really interesting things, some of which I knew, some of which I didn't know. So, um, and of course you guys know, I'll put all these links in the descriptions, but I found that uh, eating disorders are mental health are a mental health illness that affect 28.8 million Americans uh, during their lifetime. And that's according to national association of anorexia nervosa and Associated Eating Disorders, aka ANAD. Um, I wanted to ask you, Whitney, like how did, what are some of the like, um, what are some of the most common like misconceptions when it comes to eating disorders? Because I think the fact that so many people have my twenty-eight point eight million people is a lot of people. And I feel like we walk oh, past wow. people every day that we yeah. may not think have them.
2: Absolutely, uh, that's a great
1: question. I think some of the biggest misconceptions is who has an eating disorder. For so long, you only saw thin, white, affluent, able-bodied women, kind of as like the marketing stereotype of who had eating disorders. And so I think there's a lot of misconceptions, specifically in the black community, um, about us also having eating disorders. We know mental stigma, Men- mental stigma is still something that's very pervasive, and we're we're mental health stigma something that's so very pervasive in our community that we're working through and bringing um, terminology to. And so I think that is one of the biggest misconceptions. I would say the second misconception is people assume eating disorders based on like body size or body type, like that you're always thin. Um, and it's kind of parallel to the HIV community. I actually started working eating disorders. Um, as a result, I was an HIV AIDS dietitian for my county. And there's so much stigma associated with HIV and AIDS, but we always thought of people that had, um, advanced stage AIDS is like emaciated
2: they
0: can
1: catch sick. And that's often what people assume those with eating disorders will present with as well.
0: Yeah. It's, um, it's really interesting. Cause I think if I won't say all of us, but I think if a lot of people just right now thought about, and this is maybe a little exercise we'll do think about, um, the first eating disorder that comes to mind and paint a picture of what they look like in your head. And I think it, it oftentimes falls in line with what you just mentioned, which is somebody who is thin, somebody who's white, usually a woman, usually young. um, When the reality is much different than that. Um, Black teenagers are actually 50% more likely than white teenagers to exhibit bulimic behavior such as binging and pur- purging. And that's according to the Center for Discovery Eating Disorder Treatment. Um, I was, I, that that always like shocks me a little bit. Um, and that's as somebody that grew up uh, struggling with bulimia. I think I never saw anybody that looked like me that had it, that was open or talked about it. And yeah. so I think for me, I really wanted to share that because sometimes we, don't realize that there are other people that are also going to do the same things that also look like us.
1: Thank you for sharing that. I think it's so important to put our voices and our narrative uh, to these topics.
0: Yeah. It's something that I've been wanting to share on this podcast, but um, also there's like a level of shame that comes with that and yeah. vulnerability. So, um, but yeah, I think that it's really important for us to know that there's other people that look like us that sound like us that dance like us that uh, are going through similar things. Um, I found another, uh, another um, finding uh, basically talked about how people of color and individuals within the LGBTQ plus community face unique challenges that put them at a higher risk for developing an eating disorder. Um, And the national eating disorder association revealed that uh, beginning as as early as 12 years old, um, gay, lesbian, bisexual teenagers may be at a higher risk of binge eating and purging compared to their peers. Um, Is that something that maybe you have seen in the work that you're doing?
1: Oh, absolutely. Specifically, particularly because living in the South. I mean, you think of so much of the anti-trans legislation that's going on in the South as well. And so- we know our LGBTQIA plus adolescents are at high risk for eating disorders and suicide as well, um, specifically our Black teenagers. And so um, definitely when assessing for an eating disorder, always assessing for self-harm, suicidal ideation and things like that as well.
0: Yeah. It's um it's a it's tough because I feel like they're, it's such a it's layered within our community. Um, yep. And you have all these different communities within our wider community um, that all are kind of facing different challenges um, and different barriers when it comes to getting help. Um, I want to kind of roll it back a little bit and talk a little bit about you making the decision to become a dietitian. Um, how did How did that come about? Was that something that you had always wanted to do or kind of like stumbled into? Oh, it was something, oh,
2: excuse
1: me. It was something that I definitely stumbled into. Um, you know, I when I decided to become a black dietitian, I didn't even know there were other black dietitians out there. Mm-hmm. Um and I was a college athlete and I knew I wanted to do something in healthcare and sciences, but being a college athlete kind of limited me. And so I took a nutrition class and I just kind of fell in love and there was, there was one black dietitian that I knew of, and she was um, one of my professors. She's Nigerian. And she would go back to Nigeria every summer and study um, HIV and breastfeeding women in Nigeria. Um, Hmm. And so that just really piqued my interest. And so that's honestly how I got started is I I only had one professor again, like she was the only black dietitian that I knew. And so I was definitely apprehensive about that, but it just, the world of nutrition is so fascinating to me. So I, I don't regret it for a second.
0: What has been like your favorite part about being a dietitian?
1: Oh gosh,
0: there's so much you can do.
1: Like I said, like I've worked in HIV and AIDS, um, eating disorders, different higher levels of care. I've worked with those who are breastfeeding or uh, chest feeding, um, yeah. I think it's just so diverse, the communities that you can serve
2: with nutrition.
0: Yeah. And some people may be wondering, okay, Whitney's a dietitian. Where does the intersection happen between um, like the ecosystem of treatment for somebody that may have uh, maybe battling with an eating, eating disorder or managing an eating disorder? How, what role do you play with uh, like a psychologist or a mental health professional, is that a team effort? Uh, and what does that look like?
1: Absolutely. So we we know kind of the gold standard of care uh, for eating disorders is to have a treatment team. You really do need a treatment team, and like you just named, there's usually a therapist, dietitian, a medical provider, and a psychiatric provider. Mm-hmm. And so the dietitian really is responsible for addressing what is the disruption between food and body. You know, talking about body image. Um, I review a lot of labs as a dietitian as well because we know that eating disorders um, can accompany accompany a lot of medical complications as well. And so, the dietitian is so integral in kind of that role of eating disorders that it's really important to understand the
2: value of the team uh, mm-hmm. working with somebody that has an AD. If, if there's if there's one
0: thing you could change. A- or improve about the dynamic of how you, how that team looks or works together, what would you change?
1: Uh, More diversity. I mean, I want to say black RDs make up less than like two, there's only 2.6% of dietitians who are black. So, um, you know, and I don't even know that we, we looked at the map. This is probably about three years ago. We actually did a map and there wasn't even a black EDRD in every state available. Wow. And so like in Tennessee, to my knowledge, there's me and another therapist. and We're the only black trained eating disorder therapists in the entire state. Wow. And so I think that is one thing I would train that I would change is just more training and um, increasing the diversity.
0: uh, Yeah. 100%. That's needed across the board. And Going back, like when you're studying to be a dietitian, did you, did y'all have co- like cultural competency courses? Was that like part of that trek for, for your particular journey to become a dietitian?
1: Yeah, but it was like whitewashed and watered down. It wasn't really like true cultural competency, not of what we like, not how we view cultural sensitivity and, and competency training now, I would say.
0: Yeah. Wow. Wow. That is, I guess that's something that's that's just a, it's like a, a tough battle because for me personally, I feel like it's worth, it's really worth it to have people that look, that reflect the population, uh, different segments of the population, like actually working within populations. Mm-hmm. But 2%, I feel like it's gonna take a long time for us to get there and cultural competency is huge.
1: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, actual, like, I want to talk a, a bit about some of the eating disorders that you encounter and maybe which ones are more prevalent. If you could kind of give us um, like a little rundown of what they are. Cause we may, I'm, I understand that some, not everybody knows about anorexia not everybody knows about bulimia or purging or anything like that. So can you talk about kind of what you see most and what that looks like?
1: Yeah, so I'm going to treat a wide range of eating disorders. So we have anorexia nervosa, um, which is most people when they think of eating disorders think of anorexia. It is heavily influenced by restriction, obsession with body weight, body size, um, body image can influence anorexia as well, but the severe restriction. Um, And then you have binge eating disorder where you are eating like copious amounts of food at the time. Usually it accompanies a lot of shame and guilt. Um, Oftentimes people are eating in secret um, and it's it's eating like continuously, continuously eating past the point of fullness, satisfaction, almost to pain. And then with bulimia nervosa, bulimia is, you have a binge eating, and then there's a compensation, like a compensatory mechanism. And that compensatory mechanism can be from vomiting, exercise, uh, laxative uh, abuse, diuretic abuse, misuse. But there's like, there's some sort of compensatory mechanism for Believe Anniversa.
0: Yeah. And for, for somebody that um, maybe binges, I just want to kind of clarify. For everybody that's listening, if you binge, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to purge as part of your disorder, right? Absolutely. So that's
1: why we have binge eating disorder. And then we have bulimia nervosa.
0: Yeah. Um, what is What are some of the forms of, and you don't have to go too much into it, but as a dietitian, what are some ways that you help somebody with um, binge eating?
1: You know, I believe that every eat, eat, every eating disorder has a component of restriction. And so I always always start with the restriction. What what is the deprivation looking like in your life? And sometimes it's not always about food. Sometimes it's a result of trauma. Sometimes it's social isolation, lack of intimacy. And so we find out, you know, what are the restrictive areas in your life? Because binging binge eating honestly can be protective for the body. So if you're going hours and hours and hours without eating, well, your body, that physiological response is to then binge eat. And so we really look at the patterns of restriction, the why, um, and then do a lot of work around the shame and guilt that um, usually, not always, but usually can accompany a binge eating episode.
0: Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting for myself, I... A lot of my eating disorder had to do with like when I was growing up had a lot to do with body image and had, I played sports as well, played college um, basketball and went on to play like professionally. Um, But from, I'd been playing sports all my life. So the tip of the iceberg for my eating disorder had to do with body image. And then as I got older, I realized that it was honestly like a really for me, a bad coping mechanism for anxiety. Um, Now looking back and it's like still to this day, if I get really, really anxious or really, really stressed out, I realize like my mind is like, if you do this, you'll feel better. It's like a cathartic thing. And I think sometimes when I do talk to people about it, they, they do assume it's just like your body. It's just, you're just unhappy with your body. And sometimes people's first reaction is like, well, just like, get in shape you know yeah. or and it's like that has very little to do with it nor is it like a good resolve like me I was in the best shape of my life and I still had an eating disorder
1: absolutely I actually I didn't know that you played basketball in college yeah I did I played basketball in
0: college too where'd you, where'd play, you at? play I played at Texas where'd you play oh you UT yeah
1: stop it I'm from Austin are you serious? I swear I'm from Austin. I was, so I'm like one of the few people, like I was born and raised, like I was actually born, um, on a, the, it's at Austin airport now, but used to be the big military base. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um,
1: but I graduated high school from Hutto, uh, Hutto High. And then I played basketball at university, of Tennessee, Martin.
0: Girl, what? Yeah. I mean, wait, what high school did you go to? Oh, I'm not from Texas. I'm from Las okay. Vegas. I was like, okay. I'm going to go okay. far away for college. So I didn't grow up there, but. Gosh, I know my I, way around. <laughs> yeah, it was a really what, so cool. what year? Yeah. Uh, I was there. Oh wait, to 2012. Oh,
2: okay. Okay. Or not,
0: Oh wait, God. I, that'd have been forever. Yeah. Oh wait, one, two, three, four, four. four. Yeah. Oh wait, okay. to 2012. I graduated 2012. Yeah.
1: So did you know oh. AJ Abrams?
0: Yeah. Yeah. AJ okay. was there my senior year. No, is- no, my junior, my uh, freshman year, he was a senior. Okay.
1: That is wild. So AJ's sister, Ashley, and I played on the same AAU team.
0: Oh my gosh. It's a yeah. small world. That's crazy. That
1: is wild. Oh my I did gosh. not
0: know. Okay. That's so cool.
1: Yeah, that's cool. I <laughs>
0: love that. Austin is amazing. I AAU. love going back there. It's a little different now, but I still love it.
1: Yes. Yes. It'll always be home, but it is very different now.
0: Yeah. It's changed. Like even in 10 years that since I've been out of school, it's changed yeah. a lot. Yes. It's a little more techie than I would like, but it is. Yeah. It is. There's still like the genuinely weird places. Like... Are... <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. my favorite thing <laughs> about Austin is that it was I just know. like random and and weird and funky and like very open and accepting. Yep. Um, yep.
1: They keep Austin weird. Yeah. Yes. It's still, it's oh awesome. my gosh.
0: Yeah. That's, that's so funny. Yeah. I had two teammates that went to Pflugerville High.
1: Oh my gosh, yeah, literally like I like I grew up right off 685. So Oh my
0: gosh, this is yeah. so crazy. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's very cool. Okay, we got to talk um Austin after this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. Um well, I want to talk about kind of what you're doing now. Like you you're doing awesome things. Can I ask how you ended up in Tennessee from Austin?
1: Yeah. So it's wild. So, okay. So, you know, Texas basketball, huge. I actually, my, um, I was playing competitive, like we were traveling the country, um, freshman, sophomore, junior year, and my senior year, like you can appreciate this because you know, my senior year, I tore my ACL a week before signing day. And the way I tore it was they did not know if I was going to be able to play again. Cause it was like just a so oh, weird no. ACL tear. I know it was wild. I, I'll never forget. Like we, I was playing in Pflugerville.
2: I was playing, wow.
1: like just messing around, like just a fall pickup league. And um, I went down and I just knew, and my dad like came on the court, carried me off. And we went straight to the ER. Um, but you know, if you aren't, like, I was, I had verbally committed to some places, but
0: yeah.
1: I had to sign the dotted time.
0: line. You
1: signed the dotted line. And I'm talking, it was six days. Yeah. Um, until signing period. But so all my verbal commitments were like done.
0: Yeah. And Isn't then, it crazy how quickly they're just like, on to the next?
1: Yep. On, like, that, you're just, you're a commodity. You, you are a commodity. You're a commodity. Yeah, 100%. Um, but the, I ended up, the Air Force Academy had the coach at the Air Force Academy had seen me play and was willing to like take a chance on me. Long story short, like I signed with them, but then like the air, it just was like, I, it, it was, it was crazy how it worked out. I lost that scholarship that summer, two weeks before I was supposed to go to Colorado because I had a peanut allergy. And the way, the way it is, if you get a basketball scholarship or any any sport scholarship to any of the academy, military academies, they give you like two years to decide. And then you have to decide if you were like gonna transfer out, commit X, mm-hmm. Y, and Z. But if you play for the Air Force, you can't have any allergies like to peanuts or anything because the packing. And oh, I just so like.
0: That's so random. It's such it's a so random, random thing. thing.
1: So two weeks before, this is in summer, I spent the whole year rehabbing, doing PG um I lost that scholarship but I ended up playing for a Juco Kirkwood Community College in Iowa
2: mm-hmm. and
1: um was able to play some my freshman year but then played my sophomore year did really well and then got a full D1 ride to UT Martin
0: Wow what a journey that is
2: <laughs> It's wild uh, That's a lot <laughs> That is a lot it, and it I know is.
0: It is. Yeah that is not an easy journey and it's hard to bounce back when you when you get injured right before I know that's happened to a few people and it is like devastating because the
2: it's
0: phone just stops ringing like very quickly
1: and they all talk all these it's like a network mm-hmm. people don't understand the pressure of being a college athlete and I work with a lot of athletes now with eating disorders like they never talk about eating disorders with black athletes definitely mm-hmm. not basketball um mm-hmm. but they don't talk about just like the stress like I was the first person to go to college like in my yeah. my family and the way I was going to go to college was a scholarship. Like my parents didn't have Mm -hmm. the money to pay for me to go. Like everything, you know, really rode on the basketball scholarship. So it, it was devastating.
0: Yeah. How is it now working with athletes, particularly athletes with eating disorders? Like you said, I know like eating disorders were seen as very weak when I was in college. Like you don't talk about them. You do your mind your business. And even if you did share that you had one, there wasn't really much empathy there. It's just like, okay, do you oh. want to go talk to the to the lady? No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know,
1: that's one thing I hope to change when I become a psych NP is like I really want to work with athletes. Like I like if I could do black women and athletes full time, that would yeah. be like my niche yeah.
0: Let's put it in the universe.
1: Yes, I'm putting it out there. I put it out there. <laughs> I, because again, people don't and my husband was a college athlete too. And people just truly don't understand what it's like to be a black athlete in this country. Like we, we are treated as commodities. Like our bodies are always on display. I mean, you know, you think about how much money, like I went to a mid-major D1, right. But Mm -hmm. we were making the university millions of dollars in these TV games. And so it's like, they don't care (laughs) that you're, that you have an eating disorder. It's, can you play? When can you play? Yeah. and how long are you playing and
0: how Other long players? are you playing yeah and how well are you playing because if you're not playing you well playing? you got to go
1: right and so you're 18 19 20 and it's like the pressure of i i got to keep i got to go through college with this i got to mm-hmm. have a certain ideal my i you know i don't know how to eat nobody's really teaching me how to eat for this endurance you know food changes between seasons, off season, summer season, basketball is a two semester sport. Mm -hmm. We get no time off. We don't see our families, you know, but then you also have the pressure of like, if you lose, it's almost like your coach's job depends on your performance and you feel it.
0: Yes. 100%. I, yes. And I don't think, I think it took me so long. I went overseas to play and it took me probably till like midway through my first season overseas to realize, Oh, okay. I'm in a totally different environment. Like the pressure is on me. Of course you want to win for your team. You're now getting paid money to do this. Um, But it is a whole different experience than being in college and being like my, I'm not making very much money, which I can't, I I'm talking about 10 years ago. Now it like, it makes me so happy to see all these girls getting deals NIL deals, being able to like make a living for themselves because God, I feel old now, like back in my day, but it's literally like they only changed (laughs) this what, two or three years ago for the NIL deals. But literally back in my day, you were getting paid. Like, let's just put it this way. I went to the same school as like some heavy hitters and we were all getting the same scholarship check. Mm -hmm. The same, like whatever it was, $800, $900 a month. And you had to cover everything. for that or with that. And there is there for me, we had a lot of resources, but at the end of the day, you know, what the, I think there has to be a genuine concern, um, for that person. And I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole, but I feel like if you are there has to be somebody or, or a group of people on staff that actually care and are getting paid to actually care. Yes. Because everybody yeah. else is just like, are you good? Can you go? No, go to the back of the line. If you can't yep. like, you can't go, it's been three months where well, we're going to find somebody else. It's just like,
1: you're replaceable.
0: Uh, you're, re- you're very replaceable. And like 18, 19, 20, that is a lot to take on as a kid, especially like if your parents didn't play, if you don't have any like family that has gone through the same route, if you are the first one to college, like you mentioned. Yes. And I think for me, that's where like the eating disorder comes back into play because you are dealing with all these pressures and nobody closest to you quite understands how serious it is. And then it's also like, you can try to make friends outside of the athlete world, but then you honestly just look like a very intense person because that's just the world that you're in. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And we're like siloed and boxed in because like, again, like it's just so no shade to anybody that's not an athlete, but like, it's just (laughs) different. I mean, you you have to navigate college and life differently. And people do not understand, like you said, the pressure. And I I think that's why eating disorders really thrive in Black athletes. Yeah. My husband and I talk about this too, because he played basketball in college. And tried to go pro and end up like having injuries. And I was talking about how like none of us get screened for mental illness being black athletes. There's no services available. We are, we often don't have the luxury of like playing in the same environment that our family is in. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're isolated, and like as black people, we're like so community. Like my yeah. my dad is like one of fourteen kids. Wow! So like in Texas, like I grew up, all of my all of my cousins are athletes. Like I, mm-hmm. one of my cousins played football for university at Miami, and he was like the first one like in the extended family to go did pro a little bit. And so to have to go out of state is so isolating. Mm-hmm. And then again, it's like nobody is thinking that a black athlete has an eating disorder or a strong body image. Like there's no checks at all with us. They assume like if an athlete does have an eating disorder, it's going to, they're going to be white. And they're usually doing like wrestling, rowing, gymnastics,
0: swimming or something, you know, it falls in line with like the somewhat like skinny. Like I feel like the attention when I was in college, was often on like the white girl that was getting very skinny and like you could kind of see her shoulder blades and like you could see her spine like, okay, now we're worried. And now they're going to go and have a conversation, but we just like completely don't think about the fact that the basketball player or the volleyball player or the men's basketball player that is super strong and, you know, it has a huge impact on the court, and we look at them, and we just don't think about them. the The possibility isn't even isn't even in their minds of you yeah. having an eating disorder. Hundred percent.
1: And how many of us too? Like, if we're honest, like the the food insecurity that happens with athletes, mm-hmm. like you said, like yes, like we do have some scholarship money. It's not a lot. Mm-hmm. Like it it barely covers anything. But then it's like, what is the food plan for school too? And if you're like us and you're playing a two semester sport or you've got to stay during the holidays or you're there for summer workout, mm-hmm. it's like food access and food insecurity is huge among college students. Yeah. You know, and then like, it's not like we're allowed to work.
0: <laughs> you That's know? the other so, part, exactly. I used to like, um, so we had like a dining hall, like a like an athlete dining hall. And you, you could take food out Right. And for my first couple of years, I would, mind you, nobody's teaching you how to like, uh, financially manage the $700 that you get. Yeah. <laughs> so you just, there's yeah. that added onto it. And then if you're not in a place where you can go and ask your parents continually for money, or if you have a good relationship with your parents, like I would just hoard food.
2: Yeah. And
0: so I would like, Bring little containers. Like you got, you could bring, you could take out two containers of food, but I was, you know, I was trying to make my way. So I brought my little containers and I would like throw my fruit and pack it in this bag. I put myself in this bag. I'd be under the table doing it. And then I just jam pack like my containers of food with like food for the next couple of days. So that's not to say that we like, I have to say I had a really good experience at Texas in terms of like we had. A lot of support. We had like, you know, but I think at the end of the day, regardless of like what level that you're at, um, there's going to be people or athletes that don't have the luxury of like calling their parents and like getting some help. I could do that. I, I, that was a privilege yeah, and it same. wasn't until like getting there and see- seeing other people that are, uh, did not have that luxury of like, I got to book a flight home. Like, Oh, we have three days off. I can book a flight home or I can drive home. Some people didn't have cars like the whole time they were there. Some people did not have like parents that were in stable positions. So, um, and some people had eating disorders and it was uh, when you see how one person shares uh, their eating disorder with the coaching staff or the training staff and you see how they're received or they're blown off or, made fun of in front of other people. Um it is a big red sign for you to never do the same.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah. So oh, it is, it's, it's tough out there. So if you have any friends, if you are an athlete, like take care of yourself, um, use the services, even if it means you got to go outside of, you know, like go to the, I don't want to say normal, but go to the non-athlete services. Cause sometimes maybe you can get a little further with them. Yeah. Um I want to kind of get into, cause obviously it's interesting now looking at your bio, all of the work that you're doing, it makes even more sense given like your Trek as an athlete. So can you talk to me about, I know particularly you've started the, uh, BIPOC eating disorders conference. So what, what is that? And, um, like what can people expect from there?
1: Yes, I'm so glad you asked. It's one of the things I'm professionally just so uh, in awe and happy that we did. Um, So prior to 2020, so I've been a dietitian since uh, 2011 and I did not know, there's very few dietitians of color, even fewer black dietitians, like I said earlier. And so when I really kind of went full time into eating disorders, I usually would be the only person of color like, clinician-wise like, in a lot of these spaces. And it just got very depressing, very isolating. There's a lot of cultural nuances. Um, there's just a lot of cultural nuances with eating disorders, you know, that yeah. just when you think of particularly those who are Black women in this like resiliency motto and the strong Black woman um, type that is kind of forced upon us. And so 2020, the height of 2020 in the summer, when there was so much racial and social unrest, I had a private practice and, um, it was just really, really hard. There was, I live in a black city Memphis is like lackety black, which I love. Mm -hmm. Um, but there was just so much racial unrest and I was really struggling being the only black eating disorder provider in the city. And so I kind of sought some community and we formed a peer, a black eating disorder peer group with RDs around the country. Um, but it just became more apparent that there are people of color that are doing the eating work. We just don't, we get overlooked all the time. You know, I, I recently was asked to headline a conference. This was last year. Now, mind you, I'm a dietitian. I'm a nurse. I've been doing this 14 years. I own my own private practice. I'm about to have a doctorate degree. Okay, um, talk like, to them. <laughs> um, and they still try to pay me less than my white counterpart who wow. was also asked to speak. And so I think that it just happens so often in the ED community that I really was like, I want to start something just for us. Um, it's open to anybody and everyone, but you only are learning from people of color that work in the ED disorder field. And that's and it, it's intentional because again, like I said, we're often um, overlooked. We don't usually get asked to speak at a lot of eating disorder conferences. And if we do, we're like, kind of like the diversity token.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and so I just wanted something like that just celebrated all of us. And so, um, I called one of my good friends and I was like, can you help me plan a conference? And she's a black dietitian as well. And she was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, and so here we are, it's our second year. So it's actually next week. So, um,
0: oh, that's awesome. Where Where is it? What city is it in Memphis? So it's virtual. So it's all virtual. Oh, nice.
1: Yeah, so it's all virtual, which is nice. Um, and it's really interesting because this year we actually have three people who are clinicians not in the US that are, uh, oh wow. Speaking. Yeah, we have a black male therapist in the UK who's speaking on eating disorders in men. We have um, an Asian dietitian who is Asian Australian who's speaking on eating disorders and dancers ballet. That's her background. Um, and then it's, what's really neat is we have an Indigenous Canadian person who is speaking on um, trans youth and um, in Indigenous and Native populations. And then a host of others. I mean, we've got about thirty speakers, lined like that.
2: So
0: wow, that is awesome. I want to just like give you your flowers right now. Nobody's <laughs> given them to you yet.
2: Um,
0: <laughs> because it is, it is, it is really, really like powerful to, for one, just like exist in a space when you are the only one, yes. like literally you are the only one. Yeah. And I think it's, it takes like a lot of bravery and courage to then say, okay, now I'm going to, on top of girl, all the bullet points that you had for your bio, then you're like, I'm going to go start a conference and I'm going to just get all the people together and do all the things. So yeah, I'm in all seriousness, I do want to just like give you your, give you your flowers because I think, um, I I'm happy that you shared that. I hope that it encourages other people, uh, especially within mental health, within these like different sectors of mental health to not be afraid to create community when there isn't one. And maybe this is me talking to myself. But <laughs> I um, I think that is really important. The, the work that you're doing is really, really important. Um, and I think just being in spaces is a lot, but then to be, be intentionally creating these other spaces where you are showcasing, not showcasing, but highlighting people from different demographics that don't always get shine and do tend to get stuck in like, You can be in the diversity room at 6 p.m. Like just throw all the people of color in there and they can talk for an hour as opposed to having a conference that can be diverse and cover lots of things um, and have people from different walks of life speaking. So um, yeah, shout out to you and all the other black women like doing amazing things on top of their day job. I
1: appreciate that. Yes, yes. (laughs) On top of the day job is key because it is hard (laughs) out here. It's hard.
0: It's so hard. Oh, yeah, it's definitely not easy to do even more um, than your nine to five acts for and your private practice and all that good stuff. But um, Whitney, I, I would keep you here for another hour, but I'm not going to. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today and um, sharing your journey. And uh, I'm excited that another Hooper is on too. I think I've only had like one other person to play ball. So
1: really? Oh my God. Wow. I can't believe we made that connection too. That's so
0: awesome. Yes. That's, that's okay. When I'm going to hit you up whenever I'm in Memphis. So please do, (laughs) I I know that by the time this episode drops that we may, uh, it won't be of course in time for the conference, but can you tell everybody if, if they're interested in maybe, I don't know if you're doing like recaps or going to be posting like, uh, recorded webinars, where can they find information about maybe next year's conference?
1: Absolutely. So my Instagram, WhitneyTrotter.rd, um, and then BIPOC eating disorders Instagram as well.
0: Perfect. And if they just want to reach out to you directly, is there anything else, any other avenues and try how to get a hold of Whitney?
1: I would say just Instagram uh is usually the best bet. We could just slide on into the DMs.
0: And she answered. She answered me. So so, make sure y'all uh, slide into the. You know, there's always a chance of rejection, but
1: absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Listen, i been shooting my shot all the time. I think I like right. split into. It was somebody famous because I was looking for like a key opening speaker, and you know, I was just left on red. That's okay. You gotta shoot your shot. You know, you I'm gotta saying? shoot
0: your shot. Exactly. You never know. You never know. But um, I will make sure to add all of Whitney's information into the description. I'll also throw in some links from the articles that I was pulling from earlier today. Um, Make sure you guys go follow Whitney. Uh, She's doing amazing work. Um, Make sure that you keep an eye out for next year's conference and any other events that she's doing. Um, If anything else pops up, I'll make sure to share it on our page as well. Make sure you're following uh, Black Girls Have Anxiety too on Twitter, TikTok, and threads. Um, But yeah, thank you Whitney so much. Thank you to everybody that's listening. Whitney I appreciate you um, for coming on today
1: thank you for having me thank you for having me I appreciate the invite
0: yes for sure um and thank you to everybody that's listening I will catch y'all on the flip side and my voice will be better next time hopefully all right bye Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety Too. No matter where you are in the world, I really appreciate your support. See you again on the next episode, but until then, follow us on Instagram at Black Girls Have Anxiety Too and on Twitter at Anxious Black Girls. that's anxious, B-L-K girls. And remember, just because you're struggling doesn't mean you have to struggle in silence. The more we talk about it, the more we heal.